Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Some of you might remember that old show called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Do you remember that? Where they would interview a child and uh, oftentimes they would say uh, something totally inappropriate and funny and honest. Uh, I was thinking about that uh, when I read this story this week. In the car, my four-year-old granddaughter asked me why I was wearing the brightly colored scarf I had on. I thought it would make my blue suit look much prettier, I said. After a moment's consideration, she replied sympathetically, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> you have to love the honest innocence of children. Now, why would I share that story? Well, to get us in the mood, because this morning we continue our series called The Life of Christ. As a church family, we're walking through the gospel of Luke uh, together. And Jesus is going to teach us a profound lesson using children. He's going to teach us what discipleship really looks like. Through this passage, even though it's only three verses long, we're going to see it's packed with some wonderful truths that kids can teach us about what it looks like for us to live in the kingdom of God. Now, just for some context, uh, if you've been with us, or even if you haven't, right now we're in this section in Luke's gospel uh, where I would say Jesus is basically explaining what it looks like for a person to live in the kingdom of God. Like, what kind of postures do we have to take? What kind of heart attitude should we have if we want to live in God's kingdom? This really started last week when we looked at that passage of the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pastor Jeff uh, taught through that last week, and we learned that what God is looking for in his kingdom is people who take up a posture of humility, not self-righteousness. God is looking for people who understand who they are, that they, they need him. And that they can pray, God, give me your mercy. Now, it's not by accident that immediately after that parable, we come to our text this morning, which is found in Luke 18, starting in verse 15. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already, to turn there. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we have some available for you in the seat somewhere around you, underneath you there. You can find this on page 732 of those black Bibles. Now, in this Three verses, we're going to see three things that I want to unpack together with you this morning. First, we're going to see the value that Jesus places on children. We're going to see the posture that we must display uh, like children do in order to enter the kingdom. And then we can learn what children can teach us about how we receive the kingdom of God in our lives every day. So let's pray and take a look at this small but mighty passage of scripture together. Lord, we want to learn to be people who seek first your kingdom. And you wanted to show us something about how children do that. And so this morning, we set aside our agendas. We set aside our busyness. We set aside our critical spirits, perhaps. We set aside the difficult things in our lives. And we open our hearts to you and say, speak, O oh Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus starts this section in verse 15, or Luke does, when it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. 
When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Now, we've talked about this before, but in the first century during this time in the Jewish context, it was a patriarchal society. That means basically that men came first, followed by women, and then last came children. Adult men were the key members of society. Women were secondary, and children were to be seen and not heard. And so perhaps this is why the disciples are turning these children away. Literally, they're infants, very small children, so their parents must be bringing them to Jesus. The reason they're turning them away is because their perspective is the world's perspective of this time. Jesus shouldn't waste his time with these insignificant members of society. He should be spending time with important people. And important people are defined by things like power and position and independence and status and wealth and influence. The truth is that is how we define important people still today sometimes, isn't it? Now, as I was reading this week, I found this very fascinating. The very next text, you can even look, Pastor Jeff's going to talk about it next week, is the story of the rich, young ruler. I'm not going to get there, but I think, in my imagination, what's going on here is this rich, young ruler is standing in the wings, and the disciples see him. And all these kids are coming to Jesus, and they're like, whoa, we've got somebody really important for Jesus to see. And so they tell these parents to to back off, to get away. Why would Jesus want to spend time with so people of such little importance when he could spend time with a ruler? If you're following on your notes, the disciples didn't think Jesus, didn't think children were important enough to bother Jesus. The disciples didn't think children were important enough to bother Jesus. But hasn't it been great throughout this series we've been doing in Luke to see again and again in Jesus' life and ministry, that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? It is not like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus often represents and welcomes people in society who are the most vulnerable. Jesus consistently sides with those on the fringe and those who are considered expendable, the least of these, those who have no rights and often no voice, including women and children in this day. So far from being second-class citizens in Jesus' perspective, children are masterpieces from the hand of God, who he highly values. And so it's no surprise to me, is it to you, that Jesus, God in the flesh, is a lover of children? I love imagining this scene. I think it gives us such a clear picture of Jesus' heart. I'm sure at this point he is exhausted. We've learned he's on his way to Jerusalem at this point. He's been on the road. He knows what waits for him there. And yet, he's willing to take time out of his busy schedule because he values these children. It reminds me of that movie with Robin Williams several years ago called Patch Adams. Had any of you ever seen that? I thought it was a, just such a great movie because it was, he was a doctor during a time when patients were sort of becoming just numbers. Like, there's my next patient, there's my next patient. And this guy came along and he started asking their names. He started interacting with them. He started joking around with them. He actually treated them, catch this, as people. And that's what we see Jesus doing again and again. People who are often treated not as people but as objects, he values them. The value Jesus places on children should be a great lesson for us still today, where millions of children are treated as subhuman 
or as disposable commodities. This passage, among other things, teaches, friends, if you're following, that Jesus places tremendous value on all life, including the lives of these infants, including the lives of those who are unborn. Why so much value placed on human life? Well, I like how Kent Hughes describes this. He says, I think that if I could travel at multiples of the speed of light past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy, then swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the Milky Way, and if I could then slow down and observe close up new stars bursting forth from their foggy cocoons in all my stellar journeys, I would never see anything as wondrous as a baby's birth. The stars of the universe are temporal, but a soul is eternal. When the stars melt, that soul will continue to exist. The height of the wonder of a baby's birth is that the tiny newborn is the apex of creation because he or she is created in the image of God. No angel can rival a human baby because no angel is created in the image of God. All humans, red, yellow, black, and white, all ages are born with value. They're born with value because all human beings are born with the image of God imprinted on their hearts. People knew the value Jesus placed on life. It's why again and again we have seen in the Gospel of Luke those who are on the outskirts, those who are the least valued are most attracted to him. Are we valuing the same people that Jesus valued. Something about Jesus causes these parents to bring their children to him. Now we know from this time that oftentimes parents would come to a scribe or perhaps a rabbi in order to have them bless their children. That seems to be going on here. That was a classic Jewish custom going all the way back to the times of Jacob, right? When he blessed his children, when he put his hands on Manasseh and Ephraim and he blessed them. We did a whole series this past summer, Pastor Jeff did, about this idea of how important the blessing is. That we bless our children, that whole concept. Well, apparently, these parents were wanting Jesus to do the same for their children. What a great picture this is as well for us. I could do a whole message on how important it is to understand if we are parents, our primary role is to simply bring our children to Jesus. To not hinder them. To make sure they have every opportunity in the world to know him. Now listen, we cannot decide for them what they will do with him. But our responsibility is simply to make sure that we do everything we can to not hinder them from coming to Jesus. Sadly, that's exactly what the disciples are doing here, aren't they? They were hindering these children from coming to Jesus. And so Jesus steps in and he goes on. Not only to welcome the children, but then to teach this amazing object lesson about what discipleship really is. Would you read verse 16 out loud with me on your notes there? It says, But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Using the very children that Jesus was blessing, Jesus teaches the disciples and us still today something essential about his kingdom. Notice he does not say that the kingdom belongs to these specific kids that he was holding. 
He says, to such as these, those who are like these little ones. And so the question becomes, well, what quality do these infants possess? These, chi- these children that are described as babies in the opening line of this passage, how, what do they have that opens them up to know the kingdom of God? What is distinctive about a newborn? What is their, quote, posture, right? We'd be talking a lot about postures. What's their posture right out of the womb? Well, I got one word for you. Dependence. Dependence. If you're following, children enter this world utterly dependent. Jesus has in mind here the state that every child who has ever lived has experienced. Helpless dependence. A newborn enters this world naked, kicking, and screaming. And you just picture them being lifted to the sky after they're born, right? That is the ultimate profile of helplessness. And unlike any other creature as humans, our dependence extends for years, doesn't it? No child can survive in their early years without the help of others. Every single child who is born into this world is absolutely, completely, totally, and utterly dependent. And so here comes the object lesson. Let's not miss it. So it is with every child who wants to be born in the kingdom of God. If you're following on your notes, children of God's kingdom know they're dependent. That is their posture. That is their attitude. That is the first step to new life in Jesus Christ. As one commentator says, I thought this was good. What this means is that if Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will not be because he has personally preached to more people than any man in history. It will not be because he has remained impeccable in his finances when so many have failed. It will not be because he has been a faithful husband. It will not be because, despite his fame, he has remained a humble, self-effacing, kind man. When Billy Graham enters the kingdom, it will be because he came to Christ as a dependent child. That is how everyone, everyone must come to Christ. In Matthew's version of this story, Jesus makes an additional comment that helps us understand a little bit more in depth what he's getting at here. Look at Matthew 18. And he said, truly I tell you, same thing, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is that lowly position? Well, it's the position of acknowledging that outside of God's intervention in my life, that I, like a child, am totally helpless. No amount of trying, no amount of good works can make up for the deficit that I have been born with in my life, that thing we call sin. I cannot earn my way into the kingdom. I can't. We try, but I can't. This is true for every human who was ever born. Scripture is clear about this over and over and over again, yeah? Two quick examples. Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. That's our condition when we are born. Paul said it this way in Romans 3.23. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That leaves us with a problem. So what do we do? Well, Jesus tells us here. Don't have to make it rocket science. You don't have to climb Mount Everest of the religious works you do. You simply start by acknowledging that I'm a child. That I am like a child. That I am helplessly dependent upon someone outside of me for my salvation. I am dependent upon God. In Matthew 5, 3, uh, which is the very first verse of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? It's the same thing. You want to live in the kingdom of God? Then you're blessed when you recognize that in and of yourself, in and of yourself, there is nothing, there is nothing that you can do. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they are totally and utterly dependent upon God for their salvation because that is the first step. That is the first step of kingdom entrance. Or I think about John 3.3 when Jesus is speaking to that Pharisee, Nicodemus, who came to him in the dark of night. What a great story. Jesus says these famous words that confuse Nicodemus. Would you read them out loud on your notes there? He said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What is he saying? Well, he's saying the same thing that he's saying in our passage. Entrance into God's kingdom, even for you, Nicodemus, even for you as a 50-year-old man who knows the law inside and out. Entrance into the kingdom of God begins with you declaring that you are helplessly dependent upon God for your salvation. This is not a message our flesh wants to hear, is it? The lie we're taught to believe at a very young age is that independence is my goal. We are to become self-made, provide for ourselves, prove ourselves, make a name for ourselves. But access to the kingdom of God, Jesus says, it's going to require the complete opposite. It's not about climbing up the ladder. It's about climbing down the ladder and admitting like a child, I am dependent, casting all my hope on Christ and him crucified like a newborn. Salvation begins when I reach out my arms in dependence and take the posture of a child and declare I am dependent upon you, O God. Jesus very clearly here lays down a condition for entrance into his kingdom. This should kind of make our ears perk up, don't you think? Here's a prerequisite for you if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. He says that unless you enter it like a child, unless you are born again, you cannot enter it at all. And so don't miss this if you're following there on your notes. The kingdom comes into my life as I acknowledge I am totally dependent on Jesus for my salvation. The kingdom comes into my life as I acknowledge I am totally dependent on Jesus for my salvation. To enter the kingdom, the first step is putting aside our pride and our desire for independence and admitting there's nothing in myself that can provide for what I need. I am completely dependent on God. Listen, no child has ever come out of the womb declaring, look what I've done. 
In the same way as we read in Ephesians 8 and 9, let's 2, 8 and 9, let's read these verses out loud together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In verse 17, Jesus goes on to explain what this posture of dependence actually looks like in our lives. Would you read it out loud on your notes with me? It says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now that's a little different statement than what we had there in verse 16. To enter the kingdom, we must first understand that we are like dependent children. That's my condition. But here we're told that once we recognize that, there are actions that we can take to now begin to receive the kingdom of God in our lives. There's childlike elements of faith of receiving that we can learn from children. Well, as I thought about it this week, what are those things? Well, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? I could come up with 20 ways children can teach us about how we can receive the kingdom, but I narrowed it down to four, and I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these together this morning. How can children teach us about receiving the kingdom in our lives? And I just want to mention to you, these are not one-time things. We don't grow past this, right? These are daily ways we are to receive the kingdom of God in our lives. We've already mentioned these pictures up on the stage here. Hopefully these have already been helpful to kind of show us this posture of dependence. But as I'm going through these, I hope you notice some of the other things I'm going to be talking about and how we can learn from these kids what it looks like to receive the kingdom of God daily in our lives. So the first way we receive the kingdom is with absolute trust. Absolute trust. For children, the whole of life is founded on trust. The whole of life is founded on trust. When we are young, we never doubt where our next meal is going to come from or where our clothes, uh, whether they're going to be washed or not or where where they come from, do we? That's why it's so heartbreaking when trust is broken in a family relationship in those ways. Children trust others for everything. I love that picture, um, the one of this child being thrown up here in the air. I don't know if you can see it in the back here, but if that's not a picture of trust, I don't know what is, right? This child's being thrown up in the air by his dad, experiencing this unbridled joy because he trusts that his father is going to catch him. That's the way we receive the kingdom. As we admit our dependence, we now reach out to God in trust. This is daily trusting, trusting that he will provide my daily bread. Trusting that his path for me, even in the valleys as we sang this morning, even in the valleys, is a good path. It's the best path. It's the right path. Trusting that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that by trusting it, by following it, he has my best life in mind. My best intentions in mind. As we exercise that kind of trust, though it can be very difficult at times, yeah? It begins to do something amazing. It begins to breed this total confidence in God. And in our identity in Christ. He did bring me through that valley. 
He did catch me when he threw me up in the air and I didn't know what was going to happen. Trust is the cornerstone of any healthy relationship and so it is with our relationship with Christ. Are you trusting God? In all ways. In all ways in your life. Second way we receive the kingdom like children is with humility. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because Jeff covered it last week, but it's worth noting, I just thought about this this week, like children do not enter this world with an innate sense of pride. It comes eventually sooner than some of us would like, but they don't enter it with pride. No child would pray the prayer of the Pharisee from the week before, would they? God, I thank you that I am not like other children. Robbers, evildoers, biters, bedwetters. A child does not battle with self-righteousness. They have nothing to hide. They have nothing to prove. That's a great definition of humility. I have nothing to hide, and I have nothing to prove. You know, one of the things I love is when we do baptisms here as a church, and we baptize children, right? And you just listen to their testimonies as Pastor Brian asks them, and they're just so simple, and they're so pure. Why do you want to be baptized? Well, because I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus saved me. That's it. That's humility, right? There's no grandeur. There's no great story. It's simply I know who I am. In light of God's holiness and my sinfulness, I know that I need him. That's humility. I came across this poem by Dave Stone that speaks to this posture of humility that's just natural for a child, but it's harder for us as we mature. I think it was worth sharing. It's called The Trouble with Old Clay, and I put it up on the screen for you. I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day, and as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded to my will. I came again when the days were past, and the bit of clay was hard at last. The form I gave it still it bore, but I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded with my power and art a young child, soft and yielding heart. I came again when the days were gone. It was a man I looked upon. He still that early impressed war, but I could change that form no more. Humility is allowing God to continue to mold us, understanding that I haven't yet arrived There are still things I need to learn, still things that he needs to change and mold in my life. A third way to receive the kingdom of God like a child is with a sense of wonder. Why do we lose this? Isn't it great to see life through the eyes of a child? Sometimes children still possess that sense of just absolute wonder. I mean, just look at some of these pictures. Look at this this girl over here. She's just loving life. Life is just one big adventure. She's higher than she's ever been before as her dad holds her over, the head, over her head. As we grow older, though, we begin to live in a world which grows gray and tired. We become a little bit jaded. But children live in a world, well, the sheen still has, the sheen is still on it, isn't it? Everything is new and exciting and wonderful. Did you know that some estimate that children 
ask roughly 125 questions a day. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I know all about that. Make it stop. As we grow into adults, the average is six. A child has this innate sense of wonder and curiosity about life that I believe is instilled in them at birth by the one who longs to be discovered. The one who is wonderful and whose works are wonderful. The one who loves it when we delight in what he has created like little children. I like this poem, not a poem, sorry, a writing by a mom. She says, when I look at a patch of dandelions, I see a bunch of weeds that are going to take over my yard. Kids see flowers for mom and blowing white fluff you can wish on. When I look at an old, trunk, an old drunk and he smiles at me, I see a smelly, dirty person who probably wants money, and I look away. Kids see someone smiling at them, and they smile back. When I hear music I love, I know I can't carry a tune and don't have much rhythm, so I sit self-consciously and listen. Kids feel the beat and move to it. They sing out the words, and if they don't know them, they make up their own. When I feel the wind on my face, I brace myself against it. I feel it messing up my hair and pulling me back when I walk. Kids close their eyes, spread their arms, and fly with it until they fall to the ground laughing. When I pray, I say, thee and thou, and grant me this and give me that. Kids say, hi, God. Thanks for my toys and my friends. Please keep the bad dreams away tonight. Sorry, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I would miss mommy and daddy. When I see a mud puddle, I step around it. I see muddy shoes and clothes and dirty carpets. Kids sit in it. They see dams to build, rivers to cross, and worms to play with. I wonder if we are given kids to teach or to learn from. Let us always be full of wonder of God and his creation, seeing this world through the eyes of a child. The final way to receive the kingdom like children is with unashamed love. Unashamed love. Some of my fondest memories as a dad is when our kids were young and I would come home from a long day at work and I would open up that door, dad, running, jumping into my arms, embracing me with the big bear hug. It's like that was the greatest thing that ever happened. There was no shame in my children expressing their emotions or their feelings, right? I love this picture of this boy. I was told that's him waiting for his dad to come home from work, you know, looking out that window. That's love. Give a child a gift, friends, and you get ready for what? Hugs and kisses and thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't believe it. Children are so expressive and unashamed in their expressions of love. Can the same be said for us? I've noticed over time we can become much more reserved in our expressions of love. This carries into our relationship with Christ. I'm sure of it. I've talked to Brian downstairs. It's so interesting. At a certain age, boys stop singing. They stop clapping. They stop dancing like the other kids do. What's going on there? What's happening? We have been given the greatest gift ever, new birth in Jesus Christ. Greatest gift ever. Oh, that we might be people who unashamedly express our love to our king, both now and forever, no matter how old, no matter how mature we get. Friends, the message this morning is pretty simple, clear, and it gives us great hope. You can receive the kingdom of God in your life. 
It simply starts by acknowledging your total dependence and then daily receiving it with trust, humility, wonder, and love. There's nothing more we need to. You must have faith like a child. Faith like a child. As I close, I was thinking about these words in Matthew 11, where once again, Jesus uses this metaphor of children to teach us about discipleship. And I really feel like this wraps this whole idea up. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's as simple as this. The kingdom is a gift that is revealed to those who have the posture of little children, those who know their utter dependence on God, and our response is simply to come to me, come to him, and receive the rest that you so long for. As we close, let me ask you to make this personal on your notes. Will I come to God like a child in total dependence and receive the kingdom with trust, humility, wonder, and love. As we prepare for communion, the choir has prepared a song for us. It's a song that fits so well into the message this morning, this message of dependence and trust. So part of what I'll simply ask you to do as we get ready to take the body and to take the blood, to spend some time just reflecting on this song that they've put together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how simple the gospel is. That we simply need to have faith like a child. What a gift. What a gift. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.